Father, we just come before you this morning, grateful for your presence in our lives. We are your children, Lord, and we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We commit this time to you, and we just uh, ask that you speak, Lord, that you would reveal something new, something fresh, something that uh, speaks directly to us. We ask this in your son's name, as we all say, amen. Hey, let's give it up for our worship team. Good morning, everybody. It's a pleasure to be here. I got to say, this is one of the funnest one-two combos of going to the beach and then coming here. Uh, that's not normal. I don't know if it's normal for you, but it's not normal anywhere else. And uh, I'd encourage you that if you haven't been to the beach, that it's worth checking out. Uh, and then I would also say, don't get used to it. Like, seriously, uh, I'm coming from a land called East L.A., and we don't have that. Uh, so I just want to say that it's worth checking out and worth doing. And then uh, they're not expecting this, but there's something to be said. Uh, as a leader and as I'm speaking to a room of leaders, I got to say that when the Wendorfs are out and Bill and his spouse are out, and you've got Matt, James, Brad, and the others that are able to step in and deliver on point. I think that's worthy of an acknowledgement. So well done. Well done. Yeah, it's good stuff when you can lean on your team that way. Uh, it is exciting to be here. I know you, many of you know who Paul Cody is, who's come here before and shared. Uh, he is my counterpart. He and I uh, are essentially on the phone on a weekly basis. As Paul takes on New York, I take on Los Angeles. Uh, I didn't share this with James, but I also oversee all of our Latino work across the country. So from coast to coast, and even in Hawaii, yes, there are Latinos in Hawaii, <laughs> believe it or not, uh, I have uh, oversight over that. So uh, it's, it's an honor, it's a blessing, and it's also a huge responsibility. Uh, in fact, I'd like to just highlight just some of our staff and leaders here in the room. So I know we've got some folks from New York in the back. Patrice, yeah, okay. And then our local director here, Jenna Walmsley from South Bay. She's brought some girls with her. It's fun to have you here. And I think that's it. If not, but if you're a volunteer leader for Young Life, would you mind just raising your hand? I'd like to just say thank you right here up front. Yeah, in the back, I love it. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, honestly, we cannot do it without volunteers. A, a quick note, whether you know about Young Life or not, we are in our 76th year of existence. We're in 103 countries. We're in every state of the United States, and we're currently the largest youth outreach organization in the world, reaching over 2.2 million kids. And let me tell you, it's an honor. Uh, when you translate that here locally, we have about 21 areas in the greater Los Angeles basin. And when I say that, the, uh, the region that's currently known as Greater Los Angeles goes as far north as Santa Clarita, as far west as like Thousand Oaks and Conejo Valley, as far east as Ontario, and then all along the water. So you are definitely in that uh, region. And we've had ministry, believe it or not, in this area, uh, as in Los Angeles, for 60 years. That's a run. 60 years uh, of the 76. Yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. Uh, our current impact is 20,000 kids. We're currently reaching 20,000 kids in 21 areas. And I've got to tell you, I can see the Lord doing stuff where that could very well double in short order. No kidding. In fact, just this year alone, when you look at what has happened in this calendar year, we've had six new areas that have percolated and come up. Places like uh, Santa Monica, Palisades, Culver City, UCLA, Lincoln Heights, those kind of places where we didn't have Young Life before, or it had started but then stopped, and all of a sudden now it's, it's happening. And I'm excited. Uh, you are a part of that, as I know that you've been involved, whether as volunteer leaders or as partners in ministry. 
And we're just grateful. I don't know if you get to hear that story or the thank you all too often. So allow me for a moment to just say that um, because we're not done. God's not done. Uh, really, in essence, our mission statement speaks for itself. It's simple. It's to introduce adolescents to Jesus Christ. And then the second part is to help them grow in their faith. And that one-two combo, honestly, is to basically relationally go where kids are. Because kids won't naturally find their way into places like this unless they're invited. Uh, but oftentimes that's not the case. So our intention is to basically go there, engage them, meet them where they're at, earn the right to be heard, and then along the way develop a relationship that allows them to get to that space. And so you're a part of that. And uh, I want to make sure that if, if you have any questions that you come afterwards and talk to myself or to any one of these folks that raise their hands, especially Jenna here locally. I'm sure she'd love to tell you a little bit more about what's happening there. Uh, and we're excited. This is what we do. This is what we've said yes to. And we wake up excited about it and we go to bed so encouraged by it all. Uh, I'm going to start off this morning with a verse that happens to be my life verse. It's Jeremiah 33, 3. And it reads as such, and if you have the notes, it's on there. It reads, Call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things, things that you don't know. It has nothing to do with Gideon, but it has everything to do with Gideon, as we'll get into in a minute. And I share that because that verse to me was the verse that I hung on to growing up. Before I get into uh, who Gideon is and how that correlates to this series that we've been on, uh, the reason why Gideon is so important to me is because I identify with him. And this verse, honestly, is tied right into that. I say all that because I'm a second-generation Mexican-American born in El Paso, Texas. Anyone from El Paso? We had someone at the beach. I was, like, <laughs> incredulous that there was another person from El Paso. Well, I'm, I'm alone. Uh, but born and raised in El Paso, and I grew up in a really difficult circumstance. I grew up in the projects. I grew up around poverty drugs, gangs, violence, uh, you name it, it was outside our doors, and it wasn't fun, it wasn't pleasant. Uh, you were constantly looking around your shoulder, you were constantly running, you were constantly trying to figure out uh, who was going to get you that day, because some one of those things was about to get offered to you or forced upon you. And then I looked inside my house where you would think, okay, this is a safe space, this is a place where I could retreat, and it was no better because we had abuse and alcoholism and divorce. And it was ugly, it was hard, and there was no place for a kid to figure out where to find themselves, let alone find God. And it was hard because you add on top of that the fact that I grew up sickly. Um, I grew up with asthma, and it was a really difficult asthma. I couldn't walk from here to the parking lot without an attack. And it was something that added to this dilemma that I was in. It was a situation that uh, did not make life very pleasant. When I look back to those years, it wasn't exactly something that I celebrated and was excited for. It was something that it was just about surviving that day and figuring out how to make it to the next. There were no dreams about college or what I wanted to become in life. And in the middle of that, my mom starts going to a Pentecostal church. <laughs> so, not sure if you have that background or not, but that's what I essentially then, from age about five to about 18, grew up in. And and it was hard in that circumstance. You talk about a four-hour service, there was a four-hour... We would pack a lunch in the middle of service just to survive. But that's another story. Anyways, it was in the middle of that that I had been prayed over hundreds of times. And it was something that I, I stopped believing. I stopped really thinking that this God thought that I was there or that he even cared for me. And so um, after years of that, 
um, I actually stopped even thinking about it. I just dealt and lived with my circumstance, except one day. And on that one day, I went up again for prayer, and I felt that something was different that time. And um, the short of it is, I was healed from asthma. And I'm not saying I grew up out of it. It wasn't something where I weaned myself off of medication. No, I had an attack that morning, and I have yet to have an attack since. And it has been 35 years since then. And I'm here to tell you that if you don't hear anything else today, if you're waiting on a prayer to be answered, I don't know if it's health-related or relationally related or perhaps uh, financially related, the Lord is hearing you and He answers prayers. I don't think that we get to hear that too often today. You know, we'll say, hey, I'll pray for you, or hey, can you pray for me for this? And those are great things, but I think a missing link to the conversation has been, well, what happened? Like, did, did anything come about? And in this situation, it happened. But let me tell you, I'm not here to boast about it, but I'm here to tell you how God answers. Not only did he heal me, but he gave me this crazy ability to all of a sudden start playing soccer at a level that I shouldn't have been playing. Like, literally, I went from one day on the couch wheezing to the next day on the field running around. So you can just imagine it. I felt like a Mexican Forrest Gump, for lack of a better term. You've seen that movie. Like, all of a sudden, I was doing things that I couldn't do. And I ended up making four years varsity. I ended up getting state honors for three in Texas, mind you. And I had no clue what was happening. I was just kind of like in the moment doing it. And it led up to a four-year scholarship here at Vanguard where I played soccer there for four years. Any Vanguard alumni? Something is wrong with this part of the, the basin. I don't know what it is. There was no Vanguard in the, ba the beach. I'm the Vanguard alumni in the house, okay? Anyways, thank you. So um, I'll, I'll stop there because there's so many other stories that lead off to that, from there that the Lord just door after door after door. But the Lord not only healed me, but he created a way that allowed me to enter into spaces that I shouldn't have entered in fact, as I look back, a lot of the guys that I grew up with either ended up in drugs, in jail, dead, or on their way there. And yet here I was, you know, and I'm thinking, why me? Like, what did I do, Lord? And, you know, I'm not any different than those guys. It's just I made a choice. I chose you. And in that choosing, I realize now, looking back, 31 years later, that I, yes, it was a span of when I got healed and when I made that commitment. There's a whole other story, but... I made that choice because I realized this was the better way. This is the way that I felt was going to lead to things that otherwise I, I wasn't going to end up being able to have access to, which brings us to this place of this series. I love this series, by the way, and if you haven't had a chance to listen to it or any parts of it, I just highly recommend you go back and take some time. But this idea of radicals, rascals, and renegades, and I love that James added rebels. I think there's some truth to that. Uh, honestly, when you look at a character in, in the Bible, they're going to fit one of those. And as you look back at what you've been listening to and, and learning from, it's so phenomenal because you've been learning things on obedience and surrender and bravery and commitment, worship, sacrifice, risk, weaknesses. And at the end of the day, you realize, man, the Lord was using a lot of numbskulls a lot of misfits. There's your next series, you know, and yet here we are and we're trying to figure out how it applies to us. And yet here's these individuals that the Lord chose to use us. As we enter into this ideal of who this person is, I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever faced something insurmountable? 
Like, have you ever faced some, a task or a project or a situation so big that you couldn't even wrap your mind around it? It didn't make sense. You couldn't understand it, let alone believe that you could even get yourself to the other side. That's essentially the context by which the story uh, begins and is really enveloped by. And the famous theologian Soren Kierkegaard once said, a person's greatest achievement is to let God help him or her. So if you allow me, I'll give you the 10,000-foot flyover of the, of, the, of the story of where we find ourselves. Uh, we don't have the time to read it all, but if you want to take some time this week, it's Judges chapters 6 through 8. That's where the story is found. And we're finding ourselves in a really interesting time in the story of Israel. And um, I say that because the Israelites had already come out of Egypt where they were in bondage. And through Moses, they were able to enter uh, into this place called the wilderness. Uh, but then uh, along the way, another leader came through, and his name was Joshua. And it was through Joshua that they were able to enter into the promised land, this place that was set aside for them. So those were two generations, the Moses and the Joshua group. And now enters in this third group called the Judges. And this third group was really a follow-through of what um, Moses was trying to set up because Israel was divided into 12 tribes. And each tribe had a, like a, a voice, a point leader that kind of represented that group. And within that tribe, there were families that had uh, voices that were elected and so forth. So uh, there were no kings at this time. They were basically judges. They were the ones that set course and determined what the people should be doing or not be doing. Uh, and here we have one in particular that didn't even realize he was going to be a judge, yet here he was about to enter into becoming one. This story is made for the movies, let me tell you. But let me say a word on, on the generations, because I think it's important to take note that Israel here is essentially in what's otherwise known as like a third generation. And if I can bring it to uh, our setting here, here is a Latino, okay? Uh, born and raised here in the United States, but my parents came from Mexico. And uh, I consider myself a second generation, and my kids are third generation. And what happens with third generation, depending on your ethnic background, is that a third generation tends to start to lose some of the ideals, the story, the culture, the language, the principles, the values of the first generation. And there ends up actually becoming a gap between generations where even in some regards there could be disdain uh, and there could be separation. Uh, it's up to the first and second generation to actually help the third generation not lose those things. And in this case, that's what was happening. They were trying to remind them of the laws and they were trying to remind them of the principles that uh, had been given to Moses in the Ten Commandments and had been shown on what was important and uh, what God wanted you to focus on. If I were to give you another example, here in the United States, it's been said that uh, after the Revolutionary War, the Civil War was kind of that first trial where that generation had to face whether or not they were going to make it. It was an ugly season. It's an ugly, ugly scar, if you will. But our country actually not only made it through but survived and thrived afterwards only to face the next circumstance, which came about during the First and Second World Wars. And that yet another generation was tried. And uh, the foundations by which this country was formed were tested and the, the people and the things that we were about, whether we were going to be a hard-working nation that was going to stick together and, 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 and unite, or we were going to dissolve and allow evil forces to come through, however you want to see that. It's been said that in today's era, we're in the middle of that next generational battle. And we're seeing it play out 
all you have to do is turn on the television or turn on the internet and realize that this battle is playing out before us. And here we are again trying to determine uh, where we stand on this because whether it's in the United States or in my example with our, my culture or Israel who now in this face of having acquired the promised land through fighting is now trying to figure out what next looks like. And uh, interestingly enough, even though they were in the promised land, they were actually, uh, they were, sorry, my notes are off. They were under the watch, they were under um, the Midianites. The Midianites were a people group that were essentially an enemy. And rather than serve God, the Jehovah God that Israel knew, the Midianites had two particular gods. They were called the Baals and the Ashtoreths. And the Israelites took them as their gods. And they said, we'll just serve what you serve. And what's interesting about that, though, is that the Baals represented power and the Asterisks represented pleasure. And so the Israelites chose to serve power and pleasure over God that was otherwise the same God that had been passed down to them, Jehovah God. And then here comes this character called Gideon. I mean, he comes out of nowhere. And here we are in the story where uh, the Israelites are under the, the power of the Midianites. The, uh, they're following their gods. They're in this situation where uh, really there's not a lot of hope because they're overpowered, outgunned, outmanned. And yet here uh, the Lord appears to this guy named Gideon. And uh, I'll, I'll step into it in chapter 6, verse 12, where the, the, it says, The angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon and he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I'll stop there. And in your outline, you'll notice that there's two observations to take note of. And the first is this. God speaks in the as if. God speaks in the as if. In other words, here you have a situation where this person is just minding their own business. No one really knows who he is aside from his family. But yet the angel of the Lord decides to appear to him. Later we'll find out that he not only was from the smallest of the tribes, but he was the weakest of them. And so, arguably, he shouldn't have been approached. He was the last person that anyone would think that the angel of the Lord would appear to, but yet not only does the angel of the Lord appear to him, but he calls him mighty warrior. I mean, if you're Gideon, you're thinking, I haven't yet fought, like, I don't even own a sword. What are you, what are you saying? Like, you're saying I'm going to be a mighty warrior? Yeah, the Lord was speaking in the as if because he saw him for who he was and what he was going to do. Later in verse 14, he says, Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? I mean, he doubled down on this. Not only did he call him a mighty warrior, but he was already telling him what he was going to go do. You're going to go defeat that people group that's otherwise uh, taken over what should be yours. Later on in chapter 7, verses 7 and 9, he tells Gideon, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. This is powerful because... Here you have this individual that was not only not expecting this visit, but let alone seeing themselves as being the person that overcame. But yet when you look at the Gospels in the New Testament, Jesus does the same thing. He tells the paralytic to rise up and walk. He tells another person to be clean. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus spoke in the as if. He spoke it as if it was already happening. And it was in that faith that it actually occurred. The second thing that we learn here is that God works through the unorthodox or the unexpected. 
I'll say that again. He works through the unorthodox or the unexpected. And this is all over Scripture. I think if anything that you probably would have captured in the different characters was that God did some crazy things with some crazy people. Let's just put it out there. You know, if you think you have that crazy uncle back home, there's crazier people in this, in this right here. And to me, 1 Corinthians 1.27 really captures it all where it says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God choose the smallest and weakest? Why would God choose the person that no one's expecting? Is it because he's playing games with us? Is it because he's trying to make it harder on us? It's interesting because later on in chapter 7, verse 6, we find out that many, uh, Gideon is able to muster up an army and they gather like 30 plus thousand people and they're going to face this big group of 135,000. And as they consider that, even then it's like, that doesn't make sense. Why is God choosing this unorthodox, unexpected approach? I believe that he does it to stretch us. I really believe that it's about determining our faith because he could give us the easy answer. He could say, there it is. He could just throw a lightning bolt down and it's over, done. But I don't think that we would grow in our faith. I don't think that we would become deeper and wider in him if that was always the way it played out. I think it would just become that you know, natural or perhaps even un, uh, uh, approach where you know, when, when someone is so spoiled that they don't even appreciate what something is handed to them. It's like, I think that this is what would have happened to us had that occurred. And so I think the Lord, in wanting to have us lean into him and actually believe in the fact that what he was doing was real, that he was wanting us to actually be stretched in that. Jesus does this. Like, why did he use mud to heal a blind man? You think about it. Why did he choose to turn water into wine? It was about stretching our faith. That being said, there's some lessons that we can take from Gideon because here you have this individual that is told one thing, he chooses to enter into it, and then here's what happens. The first lesson that we can learn is that he calls, uh, God calls for our faithfulness and our obedience. And when I say that, the, the beauty thing about Gideon is that here he was, this person, he was not afraid to ask God for a sign. This is one of my favorite parts of the story. And in the Bible, it's called a fleece. And the fleece is basically, Gideon wanted to know that what he was hearing was actually the case. And so he said, Lord, if it's true, I'm going to put out this dry cloth overnight. And the next morning, if it's like totally wet, I'm going to know that this is your story. This is like what you meant. And sure enough, next morning, he wrings out the cloth and he fills up a bowl of water. Well, Gideon, I don't know if you're that kid, uh, I, I was that kid. I, I tended to ask that second, third time, like, uh, can you really, like, prove that what you're about to say or do is really the case? Uh, or you might have that kid that does that, you know, where your first answer isn't always enough. And so Gideon did that. He asked the Lord, well, this time, let's flip it. I'm going to put a wet cloth, and in the morning, if it's dry, I'm going to know that that's what you were intending to do. Sure enough, next morning, the cloth was dry. And what was happening here was that Gideon was being given a space and a place to ask the question. But he was also being challenged in his faith and his obedience. Because God already spoke what he was supposed to do. It was up to Gideon to walk in it and do it. The second thing we can learn is that God's math is different than ours. 
I don't know about you, but I tend to be a rational, linear kind of, you know, realist, if you will. Anyone in the house like that? Yeah, show me the facts and then we can go with what we know. This is not that story. <laughs> in fact, this story doesn't make sense in any way. Uh, this, even reading it now for the whatever number of time, still stretches me because when I think of the fact that there were 32,000 people that were set aside for an army and then individuals are given a chance to voluntarily leave and it like whittled down to like 10,000 but then God did something and he goes hey we're not done yet I want you to take this group take them by the water and I want you to uh, sift them out I mean if I'm Gideon I'm thinking uh, really like there's 135,000 over that hill and we barely have enough to just show up. But the Lord said, that's what I want you to do. And the craziest thing happened. It was all determined and based on how people drank water. Hello? <laughs> I mean, I don't know about you, but that's not how we select armies this day and age. You know, that's not how we hear about teams being picked. But in this case, that's what happened. And if you've never heard the story, it was the craziest way. It, the people that were selected, I'm going to demonstrate this, were the people that actually got on a knee and lapped the water to their mouth. They were actually drinking while they were doing this versus going face down and drinking and not looking up. I mean, in and of itself, if you're a coach, if you're a strategist, if you're an owner of anything, you know that you want to have a posture of readiness. You want to have that awareness of what's happening around you versus being so lost in the moment that you don't even know what's going on. And that essentially is who the Lord chose and we don't know a lot about these people, whether they were trained or they were old or young or what tribe they were. All we know is that's how the Lord picked this army, by how they drank water. It's unorthodox. It's unexpected, but that's what he chose. And at the end of the day, the Lord was looking for that, not only from Gideon, but from those 300. The third thing we can learn is that God's call in our life empowers and equips us. So a couple months ago when I was asked to come and, and share here today, Gideon immediately came to mind. He was the character that immediately came to mind, but something else came to mind, and it actually had to do with you. And the reason I say that is, there are some of you right now that are facing a big decision. Now, I don't know if it's a job change or the purchase of a home. It, it could be moving, I don't know. But you're probably wondering if the Lord is speaking into what you're in the middle of right now. And I'm here to tell you that when the Lord calls you, He empowers you, and He also equips you. He gives you what you think you don't have, and then He encourages you along the way to let you know that in the as-if, it's going to happen, and it's intended to happen. The image that was up earlier, in fact, I don't know if we have the photos anymore, Matt, but uh, at, on the way out today, perhaps, there should be a photo that I was able to make uh, available. It's an image that I have in my Bible and I actually have in our house. And it's the posture that I would love for us to consider when it comes to how we're to view our relationship with the Lord. How many of you have kids? Okay. How many of you were a kid at one point? Okay, we're awake. So if you've, if you've had kids, have you ever done that deal where you put your kid on the counter or you put them on something high and then you say, come to me? And, uh, you know, it's a test, right? They're, they're going to come and jump into your arms. And you have an established trust, and they have a faith in you, and they know that you're stronger than them, and uh, it's fun. And so you start doing that until you start to step back. And then you say, come. And then you start to step back, and it starts to get further and further away. And I'll never forget 
uh, my own kids that, you know, when I would get to a distance that felt a little scary, all they could remember was, Dad caught me last time, Dad is there, and this is the same thing, and his hands are out. As kids get older, they may not jump as often or as consistently as we'd like them to. Maybe we're not doing that as much anymore. But nevertheless, this is the posture that when I say that God equips and empowers you, this is what it should look like. Now, granted, that obstacle, that insurmountable thing that I asked you about earlier could be a pretty big deal. And it could be scary. You could be jumping into a space that you're just going to have to let it all loose. I'm here to tell you, go for it. Let me tell you, I didn't share this in the first group, but my family and I moved here six years ago because we felt that the Lord was telling us to do so. We had it made. We were living up in the Bay Area. We had the postcard life, two dogs, picket fence. I mean, it was everything that I had thought coming out of the projects I had achieved. But the Lord told me, no, I want you to get back into the heart of it, right in the front lines. And it was hard, but that was exactly what I had to do. I, I listened to something that didn't make sense, and then I realized, okay, this is what has to happen. And six years later, I'm here to tell you we're supposed to be here but it hasn't been necessarily all that easy. It's come with its own challenges and trials, but I am confirmed in that peace and knowing that that jump was what's supposed to happen. And so I'm here to encourage you that whatever you're facing as you consider jumping, do it. You know, Gideon, when he entered into this crazy space, uh, something happened to him, and this also happened... Uh, to a number of other characters in Scripture, his name was changed. It's interesting because when you wrestle or you contend with the Lord, you don't come out the same. In this case, Gideon's name was changed to Jeroboam, which basically translates into contend with. And now the interesting correlation was here, the Midianites had these idols called Baal and Asterisk. They had a name, but it was a name given by man. Jeroboam had a name that was endorsed by God. Don't miss that. God was standing with him and was prepared to not only catch him, but to encourage him in that process because in doing so, he was going to lift up Gideon's faith and remind him that he was there all along. The last thing is to never forget where you came from. I shared my life story because it's something that I think about literally every day. I love, I don't know where Brad is, but I love that we sang that song, that it's the Lord's breath in my lungs. That song means something different to me because when I breathe and I don't struggle anymore, I know that it's not my breath. I know it's from the Lord. But I ask you to not forget where you came from. In Gideon's case, the short of the story is that they were able to defeat the Midianites. In fact, they did it in a crazy way. It's a great story. They literally, they did what no other army has ever done. They, they went up on this hill. They divided the group into threes. They broke some pots and blew some trumpets and shouted for the Lord and for Gideon. That's how they beat 135,000 people. It doesn't make sense, but that's what it says. And what really ended up happening was the Lord ended up uh, coming into the camp of the Midianites and he caused confusion among them. And so they essentially ended up attacking each other. And the Israelites witnessed this. 
And so in their act of faithfulness, in their act of obedience, and in their stepping out of faith, they watched something that none of them thought was possible. They lived it through. And then the Lord said, go after them, pursue them, which they then did and found victory. But when it was all said and done, something really interesting happened. And this shows you the character of Gideon. They wanted to make him king. They thought, hey, we beat our enemy. We got our land. You're the guy. The angel of the Lord appeared to you. And Gideon didn't forget where he came from. He didn't forget that he was the least and the weakest. And so he said no. Because he didn't want the attention to be on him. He wanted to remind them of what the first generation had told them all along, that the attention had to be on God. And so the result was Israel experienced 40 years of peace under his leadership. And he still served as a judge, but he did it by reminding them of who God was and who he needed to be in their life. Gideon was not afraid to doubt, fear, wonder, or ask. But in doing so, he didn't lose faith in God. I don't know where you are today. I don't know where you find yourself, whether you've made a decision to follow Christ or not, or whether you're wrestling with something right now. In my own life, as I consider what it looks like to reach every kid in Los Angeles, it's a daunting task. The math doesn't make sense. In fact, I can't come up with an equation that can tell you. But I've lived a miracle, and I've witnessed miracles in not only my life, but in the life of the loaves that I love. And I know that the Lord loves every single one of those kids outside of these walls. He loves every single one of us. And so who am I? Who am I to question? Who am I to, you know, doubt? Who am I to fear? Who are we to question? Who are we to doubt? And who are we to fear? Be encouraged, and I'll leave you with these promises as found There's many promises, but I'll say this. Three particular scriptures. John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I have come that you may have life and life to the full. In other words, it's not just any life. It's an abundant life. It's in a life that's overflowing. It's so that people will notice there's something different about you. It's a life that exudes joy and peace and grace and mercy Hebrews 9.15 says, So Christ brings a new agreement from God to his people. Those who are called by God can now receive the blessings that God has promised. Here's the key part. These blessings will last forever. These blessings will last forever. They can have those things because Christ died so that the people who lived under the first agreement could be set free from sin. Praise God for that. And then finally, Hebrews 10.23 Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Some of you may have been praying for years for something. It was through my grandma that my entire family met the Lord. In fact, through one person, there's been over 70 people that have made a commitment to Christ. Eight of us are ministers, and she prayed for years and years. In fact, she passed away almost 30 years ago, but... There are relatives that have since made a commitment to Christ after she passed away. The Lord answers prayers. Hear me when I say that. And when you think of Gideon, this radical and this rascal, he did crazy things for the Lord, and he was also a rascal because he wasn't afraid to ask. He wasn't afraid to push the bill and find out if what this was was really the case. Think about how that relates to you, because at the end of the day, when I think of Gideon, we are Gideon. And Gideon is us.
Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Father, because it's through Scripture and through these individuals that you speak to us. I know that these stories don't make sense, Lord. I know that some of this stuff sounds really crazy. So I ask that you stretch our faith. I ask that you help us, Lord, understand the things that are not understandable. And I don't know if there are those here that are struggling with something or perhaps in the midst of a big decision. God, I pray that you would stretch and expand and allow their faith to jump off that rock. Lord, I pray that you would also quicken us, that if it's something that you're not in, that we would also know. But, Father, if it's something that you've set up and the signs are showing that it's you on the other side, then so be it. I pray that not only we jump, but that we jump with all that we have like a child and that we're ready for you to catch us. And so I commit that to you, Lord. I pray that blessing over this community and we lift you up in your son's name. Amen and amen. All right, James. Thank <laughs> you.